I should be royally ticked off at you, you know? Because I got bored and I had sex with you and I didn't want to, like, marry you? Like I'd marry you, you'd be the meanest wife ever, okay? And, and I know that you weren't bored that day because there was a lot of stuff on TV. It's a topic we can't afford to avoid. Parents and counselors constantly scorn them, but people are still having sex and nothing seems to stop them. The sexual revolution is getting younger. Have you noticed that people are still having sex? <laughs> Welcome to Evidence and Answers with author, speaker, and Christian apologist, Pat Zuckerman. I'm your co-host, Kevin Harris, and today we'll examine sex, lies, and the truth. Now, it's kind of obvious that today's topic is not for younger children, but we hope that teens and adults will lock into this show today and use it as a resource for good information and discussion. Evidence and Answers takes on the big questions of life, and we want to invite you to explore all the resources at our website, evidenceandanswers.org. You'll find everything from the new atheism to Islam, from movies to martial arts, from yoga to Zen Buddhism. Check it all out at evidenceandanswers.org. So, Pat, let's take on this subject, sex, lies, and the truth. Yes, thanks, Kevin. Returning with us once again this week is Miss Sue Bolin, a speaker and writer with Probe Ministries, and she also has the enchanted title of being the web mistress here at Probe, <laughs> and she's also got the regal title of first lady of Probe Ministries. She's the wife of Dr. Ray Bolin, a scientist on the Probe staff, and once she's here once again to talk on this topic of sex, lies, and the truth. So, Sue, welcome to the show. It's my pleasure to be here, Pat. We've been talking about truth about sex and also the lies that the culture tells us about sex. Let's pick up from where we left off. Truth number four is that actions have consequences. We reap what we sow more than what we sow and later than when we sow. Well, God's truth is that we can't mock him because whatever we sow, we're going to reap. There are going to, we get to choose our choices, but we don't get to choose our consequences. And when you engage in um, any kind of sex that's outside of God's plan, intention, and permission for what his design was, there are going to to be painful consequences, a whole range of them. That's the truth that is overarching this, this part of sexuality in our culture, but we've got lies that a lot of people um, pretend like that truth doesn't exist, such as pornography is normal. Everybody does it. It's no big deal. I mean, if you don't go to find it, it will come find you. Just engage in it. It's no big deal. But the reality is that porn is not norm because of the effects that it has on the way people think, um, particularly since the majority of porn is directed at men, although there's a growing number of it directed at women. Growing numbers of women are, are reporting sexual addictions to porn. What it does is that it, it, it helps a man look at women as sexual objects. Uh, it stunts their emotional growth in terms of being relationally um, astute with the opposite sex. And honestly, it um, so many guys have trained their bodies to respond a certain way. And so when it comes time to have a good, strong, healthy marital relationship, they've made it very difficult for themselves because of the way that they've trained their bodies to react sexually. This is how I know it works. And so you, you add um, a real live woman into the mix in terms of a wife, and suddenly she's not doing what you've trained your body to do for you and there is such a consequence down the road totally apart from the marriage issue you've got 
it's real easy to develop a porn addiction because it really is substance abuse because of the fact that endorphins get released in the brain um, as pornography is used. And so it changes the brain chemistry, and then you get the same thing going on with those who are addicted to alcohol or drugs. I need more, I need more, and it can get to the place where people can lose their jobs, lose their relationships. Um, they'll, they'll be sitting there at the computer for six, seven, eight hours a day and or night, you know, long into the night, and it, it literally rules their life, and they become enslaved to it. So. Porn is not norm. It beca- it's a terrible taskmaster. We're seeing the mainstreaming of porn as well. There was a time in our culture when you couldn't name a porn star. Uh, and then, I guess, the early 70s, uh, you could name one, Linda Lovelace. Mm-hmm. And uh, now they're everywhere on all the talk shows. They're interviewed on expert panel shows. Mm-hmm. Uh, they're celebrities. Yeah, they're celebrities. And you know who they are, you know. Mm-hmm. And why so, they're famous. Mm-hmm, exactly. So we're, we're seeing a real, the real mainstreaming of that. Well, and a lot of stuff that is now on broadcast network TV used to be on cable. Before that was in X-rated videos. And so we're seeing things that would have qualified as pornography 25 years ago that are now, you know, a four-year-old could be sitting there playing in front of the TV and he's exposed to stuff that would have been nasty pornography a number of years ago. It really has been mainstreamed. Yeah, Sue, and I think one of the good points you bring out is that there may not be short-term consequences, but there are long-term consequences that may not pop up immediately but maybe years down the road or in your marriage, it's going to affect your marriage. So there are long-term consequences. We just can't think, well, I don't see short-term consequences, so yeah. therefore it must be okay. No, you got to take a look at the big picture, which is hard for young people oh. to see. You know, but, it really is, Pat, because um, during adolescence, their brain it gets rewired, so to speak, and the last part of it to gel is the prefrontal cortex, the, the part at the very, you know, behind the forehead. The part that controls the ability to see the long-term effects of today's decisions. That doesn't happen until age 25. And so it's it's all about, well, if I don't have to suffer in the next 15 minutes, it must be okay. Which is why God knew this. Um, Ecclesiastes 8.11 says, When a sentence is not executed at once against a crime, the human heart is encouraged to do evil. And it's not just about crime. If there are no not immediate consequences, we're encouraged that we think we're going to be able to get away with it. And God says, I see everything you do, and I love you enough to make sure that you will be dealing with consequences to help you rein in your impulses to choose better next time. I wonder if there's any surgery that can be done on my kids. <laughs> to get their prefrontal cortex attached now, being that they're 11 and 13. Dad, I believe that's your job. It's okay. like you get eyeball to eyeball and go, you can't see this, so listen to me. Yeah. Eyeball to eyeball. Okay. All right. Oh, nothing like I was going to pay somebody else to do it. <laughs> yeah. Another uh, lie that, that falls under this category, Pat, is that you know sex is okay if you love each other, um, as long as we can justify it. Sex is okay if you're going to get married anyway because I can't see any far-term consequences so it's going to be okay. I a, a friend of mine told me that there was a young man he was discipling who was marrying the girl of his dreams and a month before the wedding um, the, the bride's sister came on to him and seduced him and she'd been after him for months and he, she finally succeeded 
They had sex, and a week before the wedding, she pops up pregnant. Oh, and, man. Yeah. So the on the wedding day, instead of this guy marrying the girl of his dreams, he marries the sister of the girl of his dreams. Talk about biblical situations. And um, so he marries a girl he does not love to make things right. And a couple months later, she miscarries. They now have a mm. dead baby. Oh, they have a dead marriage. They have dead dreams. And it's all because of the ability to justify, you know, it's it'll be okay. I can get away with this. Actions have consequences, and and there is no such thing as getting away scot-free. Yeah. You know, even if you escape some of those consequences, it's wrong and unwise uh, just from a practical standpoint because of the potential Mm -hmm. of falling over the edge of the canyon because you get too close. Even if you skirt some of those issues, there's still going to be, first of all, some unforeseen consequences, Mm -hmm. but there's the potential for all that going on in your life. Why put at, at risk. Well, you know, every time we get on the highway and we speed and we don't get a ticket, it encourages us to do it again next time. And um, the reality is that we might not have to suffer the biggest consequence that's possible, but we are terrible judges of what it's doing to our character, what it's doing to our spirit, and it diminishes every time we do something wrong and we think, aha, I got away with it, it diminishes us. It, it shrinks us inside. And this is certainly true in the sexual realm as well. Here's another one that I really like to address here. It's the whole issue of modesty. And here mm. you state that we honor God and ourselves and others through modesty. Explain that one to us. Well, God says that he wants women to dress in suitable apparel with modesty and self-control. And actually going beyond that in terms of not just the way we dress, but the way we speak and the way we carry ourselves. In Ephesians 5.3, he says, among you, there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. When women carry themselves modestly and dress modestly and act modestly. And when young men or older men do the same thing, we are honoring to God and we honor each other with modesty. And our culture has come come against that and said, modesty is old fashioned. It's all about being sexy and hot and attractive. Pat, there was a story in the Dallas Morning News a couple months ago about a lady who went down to Cancun, I believe, during spring break. And she was interviewing college girls who were there for their vacation. What did you do to get ready for spring break? And many of them had, um, they had prepared for spring break the way you would prepare for uh, master's degree comps, okay? Some of them had had liposuctions. Others had gone into tanning booths. They had dieted like crazy. They had worked on getting really fit and toned, so they'd look great in their bikinis. And she said, why are you doing this? And they said something that she had never, the sociologist had never heard before, because if I can be sexy, hot, and attractive, then I can be confident. And this lady said, well, tell me about your schooling. What are you learning to do? What are you preparing yourself? That has nothing to do with what will give me confidence. And so women are defining themselves in terms of beauty and body image. That's the only thing that matters. And if you have enhanced your body or you've God's given you a wonderful figure to begin with, the culture says, show it off, man. If you got it, flaunt it. And 
you you want men's heads to turn and you want other women to look at you in jealousy. That is what will define you as a woman. And of course, it, instead of making people feel confident, what it makes them realize is, you know, I'm just a piece of meat. That is a, a sad, sorry place to be. Unfortunately, girls who dress immodestly do get attention. They get the looks. They get guys talking to them. And the girls who dress modestly will often may as well be inv invisible. And so even in the church, this happens, you know, where if they dress immodestly, they're rewarded by the attentions of the guys, which is just so incredibly sad. Yes, I remember you're telling us a story about a good Bible church here in this area. Mm -hmm. uh, a policeman was directing traffic as the high schoolers were walking across the street through their mm -hmm. Sunday school. Tell us about that story. Well, this went on week after week, month after month, and finally, as he's watching the way these girls are dressed, he said to one of the parents, how is it that the parents let the girls out of the house dressed like this? Because my day job is in, in the area of town where there are a lot of prostitutes, and these girls are coming to church dressed the exact same way the prostitutes are dressed where I work my regular beat. It, oh, man, it just, my heart sunk when I heard that, um, because part of it is the parents would rather have their kids' approval than the, what it takes to stand up and say, you are not going to church dress or anyplace else dressed like that. Part of it is the girls would leave the house dressed perfectly modestly, and then they'd change once they get there, because getting the attention of the guys and, and saying, hey, I'm just being stylish, man, I'm just, uh, this is what the fashion is. That's That was more important to them than honoring God and honoring themselves and honoring their brothers. So, you know, the girls didn't know that dressing slutty, that there was anything wrong with it. But a police officer, you know, when, when, I, when I heard that that happened, Pat, I felt like the emperor's new clothes. You know, the little kid who said, that guy doesn't have any clothes on. You know, the truth got spoken. No matter how much rationalization had been going on, the truth was spoken by the, by the police officer. Yes, you know, it takes courage to live out the Christian life. Ooh. And sometimes you got to stand alone and say, I'm not going to follow the trend. You know, I'm going to dress classy, but modestly. Mm -hmm. You know, and I don't want guys coming after me, looking at me as some piece of sexy meat. You know, I want to be known for my character. I want guys to be attracted to me, you know, my entire character. Yeah. And, you know, it would be easier for more women to do that if guys who had your perspective would speak up. For example, um, one of my sons has, is still on the UNT, University of North Texas campus, and he said, um, for, for years he's been saying, when I see a girl who is dressed immodestly, and especially if she opens her mouth and out comes vulgarities, I don't care how initially attractive she looks, she instantly becomes ugly to me, you know, because um, the inside ugliness is showing. And I really have no interest in having any kind of interactions with a woman like that. When, and he'll be very blunt in saying things like that. And, I, you know, we need more, more guys saying, you know, it's way more than your dress size. Yeah, even guys who are really crude don't look at girls who are dressing real, you know, provocatively, dressing immodestly. They, they don't look at them as Miss Wright, the girl that they're going to take home to mom. <laughs> That's they look so at them true. as uh, Miss Wright now, perhaps. There you go. But, uh, so I don't think any girl wants to be Miss Right now. Mm -hmm. I think she wants to be Miss Right, and that ain't the way you do it. You know, that's a great distinction to make, Kevin. Um, consider it stolen next time Next time I talk on this <laughs> be issue. Be my guest. I stole it from somebody else. <laughs> I stole it go. from Pat. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Kevin, you know, you talk about that. That's how it works. The girls that 
uh, dressed provocatively are going to get the short-term attention. They'll get the head turns. But long-term, mm-hmm. it's those that dress modestly, that have that godly character, the ones that you know, men know will be with them and committed to them for the rest mm-hmm. of the That's the ones they're looking at. So dressing sexy, well, that'll get you short-term head looks, but not long-term commitments. That's right. Well, let's talk about this next truth here. Why sexual sin hurts so much. Why does it, Sue? Well, you know, sometimes I hear people say, you know, um, all, all sin is the same. And God looks at it all the same way, and I don't think that's true. Paul said in 1 Corinthians 6, to flee immorality, every other sin that a man commits is outside the body, but the immoral man sins against his own body. That means that sexual sin is in a separate category because it's, it's like it's a double-edged sword in the wrong way. It hurts both inside and outside. One of the things that I've learned from a number of counselors over the years is that There's more shame and pain associated with sexual sin than any other kind of sin. And um, there's people are so deeply, deeply wounded because um, when there's been sexual sin, whether they have engaged in it by choice or they have been sex uh, sinned against through sexual abuse. Because sex is like solder. Like I said, it, it welds two souls together. And so if you tear a, a, a weld apart, man, it's ugly. And if, if it's two souls that are welded together, there is so much pain there. One counselor here in Dallas says that sexual sin tears a hole in your soul because that one flesh union is being torn apart. It's like... Um, taking two pieces of, let's say, construction paper and gluing them together until they're dry. If you try to tear them apart, you're going to end up with a mess. And souls are like that when you're one flesh with with a person and then it comes, it falls apart. And that could be a one night stand as well. There's going to be painful consequences to that. Um, Some of the consequences of sex outside of marriage are the physical ones of sexual transmitted diseases. I mean, totally apart from the pregnancy issue, the STDs are an epidemic proportion these days. It It is absolutely amazing to me to see the TV commercials for vaccines vaccinations for girls for genital herpes, you know, because I don't want my daughter to get it. You know, if your daughter remains sexually sober and restrains herself, and if she is a virgin who marries a virgin and there is no sexual uh, involvement before marriage, the chances of her getting genital herpes are so incredibly small. This is a a lifestyle choice where you can avoid it. You don't need a vaccine, but so many parents, as well as the teachers, like, kids are going to have sex. We just know that. They say that with the same same amount of certainty as, you know, kids are going to eat. You know, they're just going to eat. We know they're going to. It doesn't have to be that way. Another consequence of sex outside of marriage is um, we see a lot of a lot more infertility than we've ever had before because of the long-term effects, again, of STDs. Then you've got broken hearts, you've got broken families, um, and in teenagers, those who are sexually active have a far greater incidence of depression than uh, the general population because actions have consequences, and sexual sin hurts more than other kinds of sin. Right. You know, we're also talking about the long-term consequences Mm -hmm. as well. You know, if I wasn't faithful before marriage, what about during marriage? If my wife, let's say, was not faithful before marriage, what am I going to be thinking when I'm on those two-week business trips? She's home alone. And I call and, and she's not answering the phone. That's right. What do I immediately think? She's in the shower? Well, wait a minute. She wasn't faithful before marriage. 
what may I be thinking here? You know, and so it's got all kinds of consequences that you may not see immediately, but in the mm-hmm. long term. Another one that we often don't think about is ghosts in the marriage bed. And because all the people that anyone has ever slept with come in with you because they're in your head. The connection is in your head. And one of the things that I hear from women and men both is, um, I hate the fact that my spouse is now in a position to compare. You know, how am I doing as opposed to the people that they knew before? And Women worry about that. Men worry about it. Do I measure up? Am I, am I a good lover? Do I fulfill her or him like these other lovers? Mm-hmm. Why even, you know, that's worth the price of admission right there to keep your virginity <laughs> because you won't have those ghosts in the, in the marriage bed. You know, and I want to go back a half a step, Kevin, to keep your purity because you can keep your virginity and still be sexually active. Unfortunately, you know, we've never even needed to talk about that before because the incidence of all this activity up to intercourse hasn't been as huge, I think, as it has been now because there, people are being actively encouraged to engage in um, mutually satisfying activity that does not involve intercourse Sim- simply because you won't get pregnant then. Oh, there's so much more that could happen, though. You know, sometimes I get asked, where, where do you draw the line? How far is too far? And my answer is uniformly unpopular, but I will hold to it um, still because I think it's the most helpful answer. If you want the minimal uh, consequences and you want maximum purity and maximum satisfaction after marriage, don't do anything with someone uh, that you're dating or courting or whatever that you wouldn't do with a parent or a pastor. Wow. Ooh. You know, which pretty much leaves the line as a short peck on on the lips, holding hands, you know, that sort of thing. Um, Because anything on the other side of that, now you're talking sexual arousal, and that belongs in the marriage bed. It's all part of foreplay. Sue and Pat, one of my concerns is that, uh, especially the internet and pornography, the availability and, and so on, might unlock things in a person that otherwise would stay locked, that would stay dormant. Things that are latent in a person may become patent in the person if they uh, go there, if they explore it, if they tease it. Now you're able to do that. Maybe you have some hidden proclivity or you have some proclivity that you would otherwise suppress and keep down. Maybe, uh, say, uh, a sexual attraction to children or, 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 or something like that, something that would be unthinkable to you. But now you have an opportunity to really go in the virtual world and explore that. And surely Paul means that as well. When you sin, you sin against the body because that appetite suddenly awakens. Now, what are you going to do? That's right. And I see aspects of that every single day because I'm involved in homosexual ministry. And I know a number of people, both men and women, who dove into the deep end in their minds, not necessarily with their bodies, but with their minds by investigating the virtual reality online through lesbian erotic stories and gay porn and that kind of thing. So you're exactly right. Awakening the beast is a real part of the problem. And then you have an opportunity to feed the beast before the the beast begins to feed on you. Mm -hmm. Ah, That's a good way to put it. Well, let's close with this one final truth here, Sue. There is forgiveness and cleansing for all sin because Jesus paid for our sins on the cross. Talk to those who may have lost their virginity already. 
or lost their purity. Um, you know, it's so easy to talk about this stuff, and, and people are just beating themselves up, going, man, I wish I hadn't gone down that path. That's one of the most exciting, wonderful, richly satisfying aspects of the cross, Pat, is that First John 1, nine says, if we confess our sins, which means to agree with God that what he calls sin is sin, that he is faithful and just to do two things. First, he will forgive us our sins. He sends them away. And secondly, he will cleanse us from all unrighteousness. It's not just that the guilt is sent away, but the shame that can stay in our souls, we can be cleansed from it. And the Lord says, you used to be blood ridden and now you are white as snow. It is so exciting to me to be able to extend hope and forgiveness to those who have engaged in sexual sin. And the Lord says, "Let you get to do a do-over. You, you can't undo the past. You can't undo the memories. But you can regain your purity any moment you want to by confessing your sin, receiving my forgiveness, receiving my cleansing, receiving my purity. And you get to wake up the next morning going, I, in, in Jesus Christ, I am pure, and I am going to honor him in my body and with my thoughts today. That's great. You've been listening to an interview with Sue Bolin, the First Lady of Probe Ministries on the topic sex, lies, and the truth. And if you missed any part of this interview, you can listen to the whole thing at evidenceandanswers.org. Also, you can go to probe.org, probe.org, and read many of the articles that Sue has written on this topic there at probe.org. So two great resources for you. And Sue, we want to thank you for being with us again this week. It's my pleasure, Pat. Thanks. Thanks, Pat and Sue. And we appreciate you being with us today. By the way, there are two parts to this program, so be sure that you listen to both. And they're available for download at our website, evidenceandanswers.org. If you think a show like Evidence and Answers should be on the air, a show that explores today's worldviews and gives reasons for faith in Christ, then help us keep it happening. Whenever you download or order our resources, you not only equip yourself, but you help provide us a way to rock the culture with some good news. That's evidenceandanswers.org. This is Kevin Harris for Pat Zuckerin. God bless and see you next time on Evidence and Answers.